We've been taking a few moments in the last several weeks to talk about the story of Moses. In this particular week, uh, we are turning into the month of May, and we're talking about a good testimony. But the, the root word of a testimony is a test. And there's nothing like a test in your life, in my life, that demonstrates our testimony. What you are when everything's going good usually does not attract much attention. But what you are when things are not all that is where you oftentimes get a chance to really glorify God in your tough times. I don't like tough times. I think I'm allergic to pain. <laughs> if it's going bad, I want to get out of that situation quick. But God often wants to use our difficulties and our test to challenge us to have a good testimony. In our story of Moses, he is going to now be asked to step out of the backside of the desert in the Midian and make his way into Cairo, Egypt. And he's going to, after 40 years of absence, stand in front of a Pharaoh he doesn't know and proclaim that it's time to let God's people go. This Pharaoh is going to say, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let his people go? He's going to find out who God is real quickly. <laughs> he's going to have 10 lessons on how God is. Ten plagues are going to come, and slowly he's going to say uncle at the end after he buries his son. And it's going to get ugly. But it's going to be God's way is to use men. Men and women have always been God's method. Time is his tool. And a lot of time has gone off. And if we look at the story of Moses, of course, he was born as a slave, of a, a, a son of slaves, Amrad and Jochebed. It was under very precarious times, very difficult times to be a Hebrew in Egypt. There had risen a generation who did not know God, did not care about God, did not care about the God of Joseph. And now they begin to give tremendous amount of pressure. And the Pharaoh has a decree, and his decree is to destroy young men. Let's kill the young men. And boy, the way, the devil still has that decree. He's trying to destroy, take away manhood, take away godly men who have integrity and discipline and, and uh, masculinity. Make everybody just uh, uh, blended in with the unisex movement. He's trying to destroy young men in our society. If there's ever been a society where men are suffering and young men are losing their, their, their mentors. They've got dads who are angry, absent, abusive, aloof, and, and, uh, and uh, addicted. It's not good. Satan is using all kinds of tools to destroy young men just like he did then. But thank God for parental decisions Whenever um, Amran and Jochebed saw Moses, they knew that he perceived that he was a godly child. He was goodly, something special about him. They protected him. They hid him for three months. By the way, every child needs to be protected. This stuff, well, I just don't want to make my children do, go to church. I don't want to make them hate, hate serving the Lord. I don't want to do, listen, you make your kids eat green beans. You don't let them eat cotton candy three times a day. You protect them, you protect their body, protect their spirit. Get them involved in the local church. Get them involved in Sunday school classes. Uh, do that. I, I think they understood and they perceive, they had perception. 
They protected him. They prepared an ark. They enlisted partners. His sister Miriam was enlisted to help. By the way, if you're an older brother, sister, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, your job is to partner with those parents and help them. Love them. Don't fight against them. Don't be counterproductive. Be a compliment to what God's trying to do in their mom and dad. And then, of course, they left him into the providence of God, and God sent the Pharaoh's daughter down to the river at the same time he's floating down and in that little ark, and God used all of that. Then there came a time where he declared himself, but a little prematurely, and God sent him out on the backside of the desert to be a shepherd where he learned humility, where he learned patience and discipline and faith, where he learned to shepherd It was an abomination for an Egyptian to be a shepherd. And that's what God, he took him down low, but taught him about shepherding people. He taught him about being a stranger in a foreign land, how to operate as a sojourner and as a stranger. And then he taught him how to be a husband and how to be a father, how to be a son-in-law and how to interact with sister-in-laws. And he had numbers of them and working through relationships Then we learned last week that while he's on the backside of the desert, God had used um, a lack of something on the front side of the desert to bring him to the backside of the desert. And God will oftentimes use financial challenges or things that you don't have to bring you to a place that he wants you to go. And, And then the angel of the Lord comes in a fiery bush that burns but doesn't burn up. And after he gets the sheep calmed down, he turns aside to see... And he has a curiousness to see there, and then God speaks to him, calls his name, Moses, Moses. He realized he's not dealing with a bush, he's dealing with, a, with, with God. And he's like, oh man, I can't see God. And He knows my name, and he tells him to take his shoes off, to humble himself and reverence the person of God. And he's not the man upstairs, he's God Almighty. He's not just your big buddy up there. No, he's God. He said, humble yourself. And he's, if some people say he, he had him take off his shoes because there's just too much. Uh, he's made of dirt and, and there's too much, uh, too much space between the sole of his shoe and the ground. Take his shoes off and get all the way down to the ground when you talk to me. God had a word for him. God told him things that he knows about. He says, listen, number one, I have seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. I know their sorrows. I'm going to deliver them, and I'm going to send you, Moses. And that brings us to our text today, and Moses now realized that God has made him in a plan. But Moses is quickly paralyzed by fear. One of the reasons people do not serve Christ, they're not soul winners, they don't give, they don't uh, go out there and swim in the, in, in the deep pools of, of faith is because they're afraid. I've been there. We're afraid. Sometimes the Bible tells us in 1, Timothy, 1 Peter chapter 3 that holy women who, who they feared God, they believed God, they, they subject themselves to their own husband and were not afraid with any amazement. One of the reasons sometimes women do not serve and submit to their husbands is because of fear. Sometimes a reason that men like me do not do what we ought to do is because of fear. Sometimes God tells us to do something and we come, we get paralyzed by fear. I think Moses was paralyzed by three things. We can see obviously he was paralyzed by his peers. 
What are they going to say when I go tell them I'm your deliverer? <laughs> He's afraid about what his brethren were going to say. He was paralyzed by his past. He had been a murderer. He had killed an Egyptian. And God had to tell him, everybody that knew you is dead. The king doesn't know who you are, so it's time for you to march back in there. They've, they've, they've ended their America's most wanted for you. <laughs> And so he was paralyzed by his peers. He was paralyzed by his past. And some of you are dealing with the same problem. You're afraid of what people are going to think. And you need to be afraid of what God's going to think. We have nothing to prove. We have one person to please, and that's the Lord. He was paralyzed by what he had done in his past, and that's, that bothered him. And then he was paralyzed by his perceived inadequacies. He told him, I can't talk. Now, Acts tells us that he was mighty in word and deed before he ever went out and watched sheep. So he may have started his stuttering in his sheep, sheep shepherding work, but before that, he was mighty in, in what he said. He had been trained in the best schools of Egypt, and he was very accomplished in what he did and what he said, articulate. But he said, I, I got some problems. I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't talk. You heard about the guy that went to the restaurant. He was from out of town passing through a, a particular community and he stopped at a little diner, and boy, there was just one guy working really hard. And uh, then there was a man in the back cooking and a dishwasher, and that was it. They were running, he was taking the tickets and serving everything. And the fellow, the fellow people were kind of being, the guy was in there, he's like, he said, hey, whoa, 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 what can I get you? And he told him that, you know, and he took his order. And then the guy started saying, hey, donkey, get over here, man, hurry up. And they called him donkey the whole time he was in there, all the locals. And he said, hey, donkey, I need my ticket. And boy, the whole time, everybody called him donkey. And boy, this guy from out of town got fired up. He said, I'm about ready to stand up here and tell them to stop mistreating this guy. But he kind of calmed down. He said, I'm not from around here. I don't need to start something. But at the end, when it came time to pay his ticket, he said, man, I'm so sorry all those people mistreated you. He said, what do you mean? What do you mean? He said, well, he said, they, they called you a donkey the whole time. He goes, he, all, he, all, he, all, he, all, he always calls me that. All right. You just don't pay much, you don't get much, okay? I'm just telling you. But oh, Moses, he had, uh, he had, a, he had a problem with his speech, and, and it, it fired God up. He got mad. He said, Moses, who made your mouth? Who makes someone who is blind or someone who is deaf? I do that. I can fix all that. Moses argued, he said, okay, I'll give you your brother. Your brother's good, he's articulate, Aaron can do it. And Aaron became kind of a pain in his neck. He said, I'll talk to you, you talk to Aaron, then Aaron can talk to the people for me. He said, but we, we could cut through all that chase to be just you and me, but you want to you wanna keep making excuses. And God is like that. He kind of gives you what you want. Sometimes when you get really stubborn, and I get aggravated, and I say, I want it this way, he'll give us our ways, but give leanness to us. We handicap ourselves because we get so stubborn. We think we know what's best rather than trusting what God knows. And he used the fear of his peers, the fear of his past, the fear of his perceived inadequacies as excuses why God uh, couldn't do what he wanted to do through him. But in chapter 3, verse 11, let's pick up our reading if we can, please. I want to show you a couple things real quickly. Verse number 11, and I want you to read it with me out loud. Are you ready? Chapter 3, verse 11, Exodus. And Moses said unto God, 
that I should go unto Pharaoh. Those three word question, he said, whenever God said, I want to send you, he said, who am I? You know, that's a problem we all have. But let me just tell you something. And I want to encourage you to maybe take a, take a little homework assignment. Go back this afternoon and tomorrow and read Psalms 139. Psalms 139 is a beautiful psalm that tells you who you are to God. Before you're getting ready to do something to be a good testimony for God, you have to endure testing. And one of the testings is to find out who you are. And God tells us in Psalm 139 who we are. He says, number one, you're someone that God knows everything about. God knows you. He knows if you like ice cream, if you don't like ice cream. He knows if you like chocolate more than vanilla. He knows how many hairs are on your head. For Dick Kennedy, that's not very hard. <laughs> he knows all about us. He knows everything that's going on in our life. He knows us. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Number two, he's with us. He said, you make your bed in the center of the earth. I'm there. You take the wings of the morning and take a, ship, a, a rocket ship as high as you can go, you can't get away from me. I'm there. I'm with you. I know you. I'm with you. And then he says, I've made you. That's where the verse 14 of Psalm 139 says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully marvelous of thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. He made me. He knows me. He's with me. And then he loves you. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. He says, man, I think about you all the day. He says, I'm poor and needy if the Lord thinketh about us. I remember years ago when I was dating Linda, and uh, I had to figure out if I loved her or not. And there was some shenanigans going on there, but we won't cast any, any problems on people in that situation. But nonetheless, uh, Someone said, John, you, you really, Linda doesn't even know if you like her, much less love her. I said, what do you mean? I love that girl. I like her. Well, you haven't told her, have you? I said, no, I haven't told her yet, but I, you need to tell her right now because she doesn't even know if you like her. And boy, I got all stressed out. I started going around getting counsel from everybody, then got more confused than I could be beyond that. But I did come to the thought, you know what? I think I love her. You know how I knew I loved her? I couldn't get her off my mind. She's got to be tired because she keeps running through my mind all day long. I mean, I tell you what, I mean, I, I thought about it when I was driving our truck at RPS. I thought about it when I was in church yet. I thought about it when I was in my dorm. I thought about it while I was eating, eating lunch or eating my, banana, my uh, banana and peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I thought about her. Everything I could do, I couldn't get her off my mind. And the Bible says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me. How great is the sum of them. Whenever it comes time for you to get a test and to be a testimony for God, number one, understand that God knows you, He made you, He loves you. He loves you. It's not, He loves me, He loves me not. It's, He loves me, He loves me, He loves me, He loves me. But the devil will write saying, well, He might love you like, He might love you a little bit, not like everybody else. Don't believe that junk. No, the thing we need to learn when we come to a testimony, you'll never be the testimony, I'll never be the testimony I need to be until I come to realize that God knows me, He's with me, He made me, He loves me. 
And by the way, when you have a God like that and you see him high and lifted up and knows you and cares about you and he loves you for God so loved the he loves you, he loves the world, he loves you individually. When you know that there's a God like that who loves you, then you will say to him, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know how I think and what's going on. I'll open every door of my heart to you. I'll open the bedroom. I'll open the living room. I'll open the kitchen. I'll open the cabinets. I'll open the closet. Any place you can search me. If there's something's not right, show me and I'll fix it. And then lead me into way, what's the next word? Everlasting. See, the God that loves you, knows you, wants you to have a good eternity. Most of us, we don't invest in eternity because we don't trust God. We don't trust him. We don't think he loves us. We don't think he knows us. He's with us. He made us. And we don't trust him to now lead us into a place that can be eternally. Most of you think we're giving to the Lord or missions. We're losing that. That's what you're gaining. We think if I go witnessing people, they might reject me. It's just for a moment. But eternally, it's a very good thing. Everything we do for God, we think, oh, if I forgive someone who's really hurt me bad, I'm the loser. No, you're the winner. God's not thinking about how you feel about it. He's thinking about your eternity. And how we live today determines our eternal rewards. Let me just say this to you, just in case someone's listening today. Faith in Jesus Christ and him alone determines your eternal destiny. In a hundred years from now, all that's going to matter for every one of us is where we live, in heaven with God or in hell without him. If you're here and you're not sure, if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. You're in the balcony, you're on the main floor, you're my left, you're on my right, but you don't know for sure if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. Please don't pass go, don't collect $200, come and talk about it this morning. Let someone take the Bible and simply explain to you what someone explained to me. How you can know for sure your sins are forgiven. You have reconciliation with God. You have a home forever in heaven. God wants to, he wants you to be in heaven with him. He made you for heaven. He didn't make you for hell. Anyone who goes to hell goes to hell over all kinds of barriers that God tried to stop them. He stopped them with his love, with preachers, with gospel tracts, with buses, with Sunday school class. But, but, but may I say to you, if you are saved, it is faith that determines your eternal destiny, but it's service and obedience to God that determines your eternal reward. Don't miss out on eternity. You're where you live, because there's one more thing that matters 100 years from now. If you're saved, it doesn't, you're going to be living with God because you've accepted his son. But what does matter is how we lived here. Were you holding a grudge against somebody? Have you created a straw man in your mind as reason, excuses why you're not supposed to live for Christ and you're the exception to God's way? Teenagers, listen to me. Young men, young ladies, when you think about the only thing you have to be afraid of when it comes to the will of God is missing out on it, not doing it. Well, don't make somebody who disappointed you an excuse why you don't serve Christ. That's ridiculous. You've got to get a checkup from the neck up and understand that that is not going to work. 
There are people who have been disappointed 10,000 more times than you who have gone on to serve God and God's blessed them. And he'll bless anyone who obeys him. There's an irrefutable law of God that he blesses every act of obedience. So when you come to making a testimony and going through a test, number one, you've got to evaluate, who are you? You're someone that God knows, he loves, he made, he cares about, and he wants to reward. That's who you are. Number two, look at the next verse, verse number 12. The Bible says, and he said to his argument of who am I, certainly I will be what? With thee. Isn't that great? So you not only have God's perspective of us, we have God's presence with us. He said, Moses, don't sweat it. I'm going to be with you. Well, if you're going to go someplace, I always like to go someplace with someone who knows where they're going. If you've got someone who knows where to go, you can sit back in the back seat and relax. Because they know. I don't know. I've never been to tomorrow yet. But God's already there. And if he's with me, I can face tomorrow. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be concerned. And when you're going through a test that's going to make you a good testimony for God, number one, you need to seek God's perspective of you. He loves you. He knows you. He made you. He's got your eternity, your best interest in heart. You need to know also that he's going to be with you. Because courage does not come because of who we are, but who is with us. To me, I think one of the greatest things of being saved is now I have God and His Spirit in me. He's in me, I'm in Him, never to be separated. So wherever He is, I can go with Him. He's never going to leave me, nor forsake me. He says, lo, I am with you always. And Moses needed to understand while he was going through his test and preparing a testimony to stand and do something with God for his people, he didn't understand, first of all, God's perspective. Number two, God's presence. And then he was still not convinced. He said, okay, okay. I know you're going to be with me, and I know who I am now. But he says, who am I going to tell them when I just pop onto the scene and walk into Cairo <laughs> and I meet this meet the people of God, and then I go prance into Pharaoh's kingdom? Who am I going to tell them sent me? And he gives us the answer. Look, if you would, please, verse 13 and 14. The Bible says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, come to your people. And I say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. They shall say unto me. So I'm going to tell them that you sent me unto them, the God of your fathers, then they're going to say to me, what is his, what? What shall I say unto him? And I want you to read verse 14 with me. Everybody together, you ready? And God said unto Moses, and he said, I am. The words I am means Yahweh, Jehovah, God. I love just listening to that Little mothers, Hebrew mothers, would whisper while they were breastfeeding their little babies, whisper in their ear, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. So, Lord, when I go over to care and, and to tell the people that you sent me, 
Who, what, what am I going to say your name is? Tell him my name is Jehovah. Tell him I am. See, pastor, is that insignificant? It's very significant. And especially those who were understood the God of the Bible and the Jewish people, whenever, you might remember whenever uh, the children of Israel said, said uh, you know, they were asked, I'm sorry, the Pharisees and the scribes were arguing with Jesus. He said, I am. And they said, oh, man, you were a rock. You know why? Because he says, I'm Jehovah. By the way, is Jesus God? You better believe it. It was his blood. It was God's blood. Acts 20, verse number 28, that was shed on the cross. He's the one that can save us. He's our mediator between God and man. And we find here, he says, you know, I want you to know my power. As we conclude today, I want you to notice three things. In a testimony, just because he knew God's perspective, his presence, and his power, he had to go tell his brethren. He went in there and he came into Egypt. And when he went there, God told him three things. Some people will receive you. Some people will resist you. But if you'll obey me, I will reward you. He said, my people, when you tell them you're from me, you tell them my name, they're going to follow you. But Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. He's going to, he's hardened his heart, and I'm going to use his own stubbornness in order to get 10 lessons on why I'm God. I'll mock every stinking one of those gods of Egypt. They worship the Nile, I'm going to turn it into blood. They want to worship their cattle, I'm going to kill their cattle. They want to worship insects, I'm going to kill their insects. They worship their firstborn, I'm going to take their firstborn. Strategically, I'm going to use his stubbornness against you. He's going to resist you. Moses knew all this ahead of time, and it became a problem. And when you try to serve Jesus Christ, you can know this. When you try to be a witness, when you try to do what's right, you're going to have some people who are going to accept, some people who are going to resist. But you have a God in heaven who will respond with purpose and providence, and he will reward you. He said, whenever you leave Egypt, the people are going to be so happy you're leaving They'll give you whatever you ask for. They're going to give you gold. They'll give you pots and pans. They'll give you utensils. They'll say, what do you want, please? And I'll use all that to build my tabernacle and build my people and take care of you guys for 40 years. Because he will reward those who obey him. Are you in a testing time? God's trying to make a testimony out of you. And in a testimony, you'll need to know three things. God's opinion of you, his perspective, his presence, his power. And you'll need to understand that whenever you serve God, you're going to have some who are going to accept, some are going to resist. But God will reward you can trust him.